Welcome to the History of Christianity podcast with Stephen Bedard. Please visit me at historyofchristianitypodcast.com. In this episode, we will continue our look at the early popes that we began back in episode 46. We'll now bring the story up to date by looking at the popes of the 3rd century. It's important that I emphasize that when we talk about the popes of this era, what we really mean are the bishops of Rome. While being the bishop of such an important center had authority, it was not the recognized authority that later popes had over the church in general. The increase in authority and evolution to what we think of as popes today was a gradual development. Zephyrinus, who we looked at back in episode 46, died in 217. He was succeeded by Calixtus I, who was in office from 217 to 222. He was known for his open views, including the welcoming back of Christians who had been part of schisms, even without penance. He also developed a way to welcome back people who had committed adultery and even murder. This was a little too open for some within the church, and for some, Calixtus had crossed the line. Not long after Calixtus I began as bishop, some elected Hippolytus of Rome as a rival pope. Calixtus I died around 222, possibly as a martyr, but it's not exactly clear. As I said, Hippolytus of Rome had been elected as a rival pope, something usually called an anti-pope. We've mentioned Hippolytus numerous times throughout the podcast and gave a brief description of his life in episode 52. Hippolytus continued to oppose the next two popes, although there's evidence that he was reconciled before his death in 235. Interestingly, within a couple of decades, a reference to him as a martyr describes him as a priest rather than a bishop. Hippolytus is not counted as a legitimate pope within the Roman Catholic Church. At the death of Calixtus, and while Hippolytus was still anti-pope, Urban I took office from 222 to 230. We don't know much about Urban or what his time in office was like. He was pope during the time of Emperor Alexander Severus, and it was a time of relative peace for the church. After Urban, the next pope was Pontitian, who was in office from 230 to 235. It was during Pontitian's time that there was a synod in Rome that condemned Origen. The first part of Pontitian's office was peaceful, but once Severus was gone, things changed. Maximinius Thrax took a harsh stand against the church and had leaders arrested. This included both Pontitian and Hippolytus who were sent to the mines in Sardinia. Thus, Pope and anti-Pope were condemned together, and it's believed that sometime during this, they were reconciled. That would have been impressive enough, but after his arrest, Pontitian did something that had never been done before. He resigned as Bishop of Rome. This gave the church the freedom to elect their new leader in those troubling times. Pontitian was succeeded by Antares, who was pope for only about a month and a half, from 235 to 236. We don't know the exact circumstances of his death. The next pope, Fabian, had a longer time in office, being pope from 236 to 250. 
There was a legend that Fabian was not even in the running to be the next bishop. But when a dove landed on his head, it was taken as a divine sign of his appointment. Fabian enjoyed a break in the persecutions of the 3rd century and was able to get some things done, including dividing Rome into seven districts, each overseen by a deacon. He also sent missionaries into Gaul to expand the reach of the church. Eventually, the lull in the persecutions ended, and during the reign of Decius, Fabian was arrested and died as a martyr. After Fabian, we have Cornelius, who was in office from 251 to 253. Cornelius had his hands full, dealing with the aftermath of the Decian persecution. Pressure was put on Christians to offer a pagan religious sacrifice. This was something no Christian would want to do, and many did not do it, and they were killed for it. But there were other Christians who, although wanting to remain faithful, out of fear offered the sacrifice. What was to be done with these Christians? Fabian, in agreement with Cyprian of Carthage, determined that these Christians could be readmitted to the church with a sufficient penance. Now, not everyone agreed with this, including a leader named Novation, who we will get into in a moment. A synod was called and Cornelius was confirmed as the Bishop of Rome. A decision was made about the lapsed and Novation and his followers were excommunicated. Cornelius died after only two years in office as persecution erupted again. This brings us to Novation, who we have briefly mentioned. He lived 200 to 258 and is considered an anti-pope by the Roman Catholic Church. As already mentioned, he had strong opinions about what to do with the lapsed from the Decian persecution. Unlike the moderates who were willing to readmit those who performed penance, Novation argued that idolatry was an unforgivable sin, and there was no way back for those who sacrificed to save their lives. Novation had attempted to compete with Cornelius for the election as Bishop of Rome and even had some support. Here's a portion of a letter from Cyprian to Cornelius to give you a sense of how they saw Novation, who is called Novatus here. Quote, Cyprian, to Cornelius, his brother, greeting. You have acted, dearest brother, both with diligence and love, in sending us in haste Nicephorus, the acolyte, who both told us the glorious gladness concerning the return of the confessors, and most fully instructed us against the new and mischievous devices of Novation and Novatus for attacking the Church of Christ. For whereas on the day before that mischievous faction of heretical wickedness had arrived here, itself already lost and ready to ruin others who should join it, on the day after, Nicephorus arrived with your letter. Ironically, Novation refused grace towards the lapse, but after his excommunication, Novation and his followers were considered the lapsed and were called to repent and return to the church. Novation died in 258, still in conflict with the church. This episode will return after this break. I was recently introduced to Athletic Greens. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, 
your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. And it contains less than one gram of sugar. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Lucius I became Bishop of Rome after the death of Cornelius, but held office for less than a year. We know little about him other than he opposed Novation. Lucius was succeeded by Stephen I, who held office from 254 to 257. He also had to deal with Novation and his followers. In addition, Stephen was willing to admit those from splinter groups back to the Mother Church without rebaptism something he was in disagreement about with Cyprian. Stephen was succeeded by Sixtus II, who also lasted less than a year and was martyred during the Valerian persecution. This brings us to Dionysus, who held office from 259 to 268. Finally, with a break in persecution, there was a bishop who could stay in office long enough to get something done. This was during the reign of Emperor Galilanus, whose tolerance allowed what was called the little peace of the church. After Dionysus, we have Felix I, who was in office from 269 to 274. Felix came into conflict with Paul of Samosota, who was Bishop of Antioch. Paul rejected the Trinity, especially the idea that Jesus was God incarnate. Paul wrote this, quote, Having been anointed by the Holy Spirit, he received the title of the anointed, suffering in accordance with his nature, working wonders in accordance with grace. For in fixity and resoluteness of character, he likened himself to God, and having kept himself free from sin, was united with God, and was empowered to grasp, as it were, the power and authority of wonders, By these he was shown to possess over and above the will one and the same activity with God and won the title of Redeemer and Savior of our race. This is a form of adoptionism, that is, the idea that Jesus was not God from the start, but rather became divine by being chosen by God. Paul had numerous followers and they became known as uh, Paulicianists. What is especially relevant to our interests here is how this was resolved. Felix received aid from the emperor Aurelian. Eusebius describes what happened, quote, As Paul had fallen from the episcopate, as well as from the orthodox faith, Domnus, as has been said, became bishop of the church at Antioch. 
But as Paul refused to surrender the church building, the emperor Aurelian was petitioned, and he decided the matter most equitably, ordering the building to be given to those whom the bishops of Italy and of the city of Rome should adjudge it. Thus, this man was driven out of the church with extreme disgrace by the worldly power. Eventually, Aurelian would turn against the church, but for a moment we had cooperation, something we'll see much more of in the next century. Eutychian was the next bishop of Rome, being in office from 275 to 283. We know very little about him, nor do we know much about Caius, who was bishop from 283 to 296. This brings us to the last pope of the 3rd century, Marcellinus, who was in office from 296 to 304. There are claims that Marcellinus fell to the pressure in the great persecution of Diocletian to offer a sacrifice, but repented afterwards. Interestingly, all Eusebius says is, quote, Marcellinus, who was overtaken by the persecution. It's thought that because of this, even though he ended up dying as a martyr, he was left off the official martyrs list. Is that a positive or a negative way to end this episode? The truth is that the 3rd century was a difficult era for the church. As much as the Roman Empire experienced a crisis of the 3rd century, so did the church. The rapid change in emperors meant that the church could never know what stance the empire would have toward the church. Some of the harshest persecutions so far took place in the 3rd century. Even bishops of Rome were being martyred, and having a number of short-reigning popes affected the development of the church. It really was survival mode, and things are about to get worse as we enter the 4th century. At least for a time. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please visit me at historyofchristianitypodcast.com and track me down on Facebook and Twitter. You can support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash hopesreason. Even $1 a month, less than a cup of coffee, can make a difference. Thanks for your ongoing support. God bless. The Second World War Podcast with Stephen Bedard. World War II changed our world dramatically. Our maps and technology were all transformed in ways that still affect us. This podcast starts with the origins and moves on to the worldwide conflict between the Axis and the Allies. Learn the background and understand how Europe, Africa, and Asia were torn apart by the greed for more power and resources. Hear the stories of Montgomery and Churchill, Eisenhower and Patton, Goring and Rommel. We will go through the entire conflict, focusing on the big picture rather than the details. If you've ever wanted to know more about the Second World War, this is your chance. Listen to the podcast at anchor.fm slash secondworldwar or on your favorite podcatcher. And find more resources, including blog posts, at stephenjbedard.com slash Second World War.